Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. So the Lord has brought my attention to something. And you all learned this about me, that I've, I've learned to be preemptive. And when I see the enemy throwing something down the pipeline, I, I get on my horse and I saddle up and I get ready to come against whatever it is that he wants to bring against us and the Lord revealed some things to me about a little over a year ago and I begin to and I've ministered here and there on cultivating an atmosphere for the supernatural and the Lord gave me a bunch of different keys I started off with about seven keys and because you know it says that there are keys to the kingdom right there's not one key but there are multiple keys to the kingdom. So anybody that says I've got it figured out and they've got one key, well, they've got one key figured out how to open up one, one doorway to maybe one particular area, but there's multiple things involved. And the Lord began to speak to me about there's things, there's things we can do to, to create an atmosphere for the supernatural power of God to be in our midst. And he is here, he is in our midst and he's working in our lives, not just in a service, but we're seeing, seeing him work in our lives, amen. And there's been some things that we've done and will continue to do. And one of those keys is that unity must remain with us. See, some people are striving for unity, but when we understand what's been given to us in the family that we've been born into, we're all automatically already in unity. We just need to recognize the unity that we have in Christ Jesus. And we have to begin to contend for that unity. And so I'm being preemptive here because, listen, I, and Liz, Liz is my witness, especially in this area. How many times I've said, I, I see the enemy bringing an, att an attack. How many times have I missed it when I've said that? Never, that you can ever, ever count. And I've done this many, many times in this church. That I, It's like, I can't see everything, but there are certain things I see really, 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 really well. You know how you can like, you can, in the natural, you can maybe distinguish certain colors better than the other or just, you know, whatever. I can see certain things in the spirit really well. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you know, the apostle Paul said, I didn't cease to warn you night and day for three years about several different things, but primarily people coming in to try to destroy and people rising up within to try to destroy. And I'm telling you, we have a very pure group of people here but I know that the enemy will come in and work through flesh to try to bring destruction and you're the only one that can stop it. Why wouldn't he try to stop the momentum that we have? Why wouldn't he? He's scared of us. He's scared of what we're capable of doing. See, you know what we've been doing for the last year and a half? Is we've been, we've been sitting in the incubator, incubator and God's been preparing us for ultimately what things are going to look like. We, we have, we've like only been in boot camp for the last year and a half. We have incredible things ahead of us, but if the enemy can destroy us before we move out together, then he'll just do that. He'll destroy us and we won't move out together because a house divided can't stand right. We have to stay united together. And you say, what, is there something in particular? Nope. I'm just telling you what I know in the spirit. This is a prophetic message, if you want to call it that, that I see what the enemy would bring down the pipeline. 
You know, the enemy, what's interesting is that he doesn't use, he doesn't really use supernatural methods to get us off track. He uses carnal methods. He works through our flesh. You know, when you, when you talk about unity with people, we relate to each other, not just spirit to spirit, but body to body, right? And even, even our personality, you could say our soulish realm, we relate to each other that way. It's not just spirit to spirit. So where do you think the enemy is going to come in and try to bring division? It's in, our, it's in our natural self. It's in our flesh. And so we have to be at a place to where we value unity at such a high level that we will do anything to stop the enemy from coming in and bringing any kind of destruction to any part of our body. And we will do it. We'll be successful. And if you just understand what I'm saying, then as far as your part's concerned, I don't know about everybody else that didn't hear, but this is what the Lord put on my heart for tonight. As far as your part's concerned, you can be 100% successful. You know that I don't have problems staying in unity with people. I don't have everything figured out, and I'm, I certainly don't have the love walk figured out 100%, but I, honestly, I probably have it figured out 95% or more. I don't struggle walking in, in unity with people. You know why? Because I recognize that my battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities, it's against powers, it's against the rulers of the darkness of this age. And every time we take a step forward in something and we know it's God and we get a word from God, the enemy comes in and we have some uncrucified flesh that he'll come in and he'll begin to work through that. And before you know it, you have two people that are apparently walking together really well, but then all of a sudden they start having problems with one another. So the pastor thing to do is just to go ahead and address it in the spirit before the enemy comes in and wreaks, his ha- wreaks havoc. You know, it says in Amos, it says, how, Amos 3.3, it says, how can two walk together unless they be in agreement? And when you look at that word agreement, and when you look at all the other places, I think it's about 30 different times it's that same Hebrew word is used. It's usually talking about, about coming together and meeting together, but it also depicts um, like an engagement, like a, like a wedding engagement. So when you, when you think about that and you think about what a commitment is, a kind of commitment is involved with, with marriage and putting a ring on somebody's finger in, in our culture today, that's a serious thing. At least it should be. A lot of people don't value it as serious, but some people do, and it should be. And the picture that's painted is how can two walk together unless they be in agreement? It's saying how, how can two walk together unless they be in covenant with one another? Because it's not just saying that you agree on everything. You find that you take any two people anywhere in the whole world and you put them together, and you could think that they agree on everything, I guarantee you within, by the end of the day, they're going to find something that they dig. Probably by the end of the hour, they're going to find something that they disagree with. That's human nature. So it's not talking about agreeing on everything, but it's talking about walking together in covenant. And there is a level of covenant that with each other that the church has really yet to lay hold of. And I'll include myself in that too. I'll include us in that. That you know, when you see all the different pictures in the Bible about what the church is, there's lots of pictures, and one of those pictures is family. But you know that we, we've got a family, we've got, Liz and I, we've got four boys, and we have problems like most other people do. And, you know, we've got two of them in particular. Well, we've got one in particular that's an instigator, and that instigates towards the other three pretty often. And... <laughs> Yes, he does, but 
but you know, as much as they might bicker and fight or throw down or, or just totally blast each other with nerf darts relentlessly, and then anger comes in and whatever, you know that none of them ever talk about, I'm going to leave you and you're not my brother anymore. I noticed that. And you know that Liz and I, anytime that we've ever had an argument, like one time maybe in our whole life. No, she's always right. That's the thing. Um, but you know that neither one of us ever thought this marriage is over because we had an argument. You, you know why? Because we have covenant with one another and we're family. And so what does family do? Family has disagreements, but we walk together because we agree scripturally, which means that we're in covenant with one another. You know what people do in the church most of the time? Is that they don't like something the pastor says, or they don't like the way, you know, the head usher told them to hand out the buckets, or I mean, just, and I'd like to say that everybody's past that, but the reality is everybody isn't past that. And people will get offended about things like that, and they'll, they'll leave their, their family. You understand that what, what is going on here is it's more than, this is dad talking to the kids. Will you just let dad talk to the kids for a minute? Great. It's more than, this is more than church. Who in here can understand what I'm talking about? That what God, this, isn't nor, this isn't church as normal. Most of you in here have experienced that. There's something really precious. Well, if we don't take it to the next level, get ahead of the enemy, right? And understand the covenant that we have in this family, we're susceptible to the enemy coming in and bringing division. But see, Liz and I, we have such a strong covenant. I mean, as much stuff as we've been through, not just with each other, but even with, I mean, we got all kinds of, everybody talks about, man, my family's so screwed up. And we're like, we've got family issues too, you know? And so that's just the way life goes. But you know that her and I have never said the word divorce. We've never said, this isn't gonna work out. Or we're not, because that's the kind of covenant that, that we have with each other. And most people, hopefully most people in marriage, they have that same kind of thing. But when it comes to the church, the body of Christ, this is something that's been hit so hard for so long by the enemy. And I'll tell you the reason why is because when you have people that come together and they, they value and they contend for that covenant, that unity with each other, there's nothing, I'm telling you, there's nothing no force in hell can stop them from doing what the Lord wants. There's something, even in the natural, there's a, there's a great power in, in unity. You just take the Tower of Babel, for example. That's something to contemplate for a while. They were going to build a tower to heaven. It makes you wonder if maybe their technology back then was further along than what we think. We just think of like guys cutting stones with hammers and whatever, it's possible that maybe they had technology that was uh, really great and they had come together and, and uh, they had understood things so well. And they, they were basically, they were so unified that they were building a tower to the heavens. And the reason the Lord cut that thing off is because they were making a name for themselves, not a name for the Lord. And that's just in human strength, you understand? What does it look like for people called by his name born of the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of God, have the fruits of the Spirit living and dwelling on the inside of them, what does it look like for those kind of people to come together in covenant and agreement? And no matter what we have going on around us, 
we're into building his strong tower and his kingdom, and we're not going to let anything get in our way. See, God will bless that because it's about him and not about making a name for ourselves. God wants to bless that. Amen? So doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it seem to be reasonable that if even just in human nature, not even counting God, take God out for the, for the moment, and you look at the Tower of Babel because God wasn't for that, and you, you looked at them building that, that was in human nature. So you take our human nature, plus you add the power of God in the ability that he's given us, nothing, absolutely nothing could be impossible and will be impossible for us. And you know that the enemy understands this? This is why he works against people being in unity so hard. He works overtime to try and come in and bring disputes and offenses between people. And if we can begin to see this on a spiritual level instead of a natural level, and it does, this isn't just in church, but it's also in, in family too. So this is why whenever Liz says anything that's wrong, I just say, get behind me, Satan. And that's what I, no, I don't say that. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's what Peter said to, or Jesus said to Peter. Anyway, so don't, don't do that to your spouse. That's really bad, bad counsel. But... Whenever there is a, an argument, the goal is that you recognize it quick, but at least at some point you realize, you know what, this is the enemy coming in and trying to bring division. But see, he doesn't, he doesn't come, and I've heard said this before about other things, but he doesn't come with, a, with a, you know, a pitchfork and a pointed tail and horns, right? You know how he comes? He comes through your flesh. Somebody says something that you don't like or it's not to your liking or, you know, whatever, and then before you know it, like your horns come out or their horns come out and it gets, it can get nasty that way. And then some people, they don't, they don't get mad, uh, you know, like out like that, but they'll just pull in their shell. And the next thing you know, they've disappeared because they're not the kind to get mad and throw a fit and get angry or whatever, but they've just disappeared. And the reason is, is because the way they respond to it is just, well, they hurt my feelings or, you know, I didn't really like that. And instead of going and communicating and talking and saying, help me understand this, let's walk through this together because we're family, they just disappear. And you find out later, well, you know, somebody sets, and it's usually, most of the time, it's some kind of misunderstanding. I can't tell you the amount of, the amount of people that I have dealt with that I'll see them, you know, two months or six months later, someone will say, man, I, we've missed you. We haven't seen you where you've been. And sometimes, and I try, to, I try to call people. I'm not the one to just be like, oh, we've missed you and not call them. I, usually, unless they just need to go. Sometimes people just need to go. But, you know, if they don't need to go, I'll call them and see what's up with them. But then a lot of times I'll run into them and, you know, then I'll hear the whole story. And it's like, well, man, if you had just come and talked to me, we could have worked that thing out. But see, people don't value, they don't value family. They don't value the spiritual family that God's given us. The Lord has done such a work in the spirit that if we can understand this, he's, and I want to give you this example in the word. This is incredible. Look here in Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two, and there's a great picture here about what the Lord has done, what he did do, and we just need to see it. You know, the, the two I'll say the two most opposing groups of people, at least B.C., before Christ, were Jews and Gentiles, by and large. You had 
covenant people and you had non-covenant people. And the word's very clear that the Gentiles did not have a covenant with the Lord. I believe fully that they could make it to heaven by putting faith in Jesus. I believe that the, the Gentiles, right? But they didn't have a covenant of blessing like the Jews did. Look here in Ephesians chapter 2, and it says in verse 14, so Ephesians 2 and 14, it says, For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God and the body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Man, this is awesome. When it's talking about that he broke, he broke down the middle wall of separation, did I read that? Verse 14, yeah, it says, and it has broken down the middle wall of separation. This is talking about the wall, but it's a picture that separated the where the, the Gentiles were allowed to go in terms of the temple versus where the Jews were allowed to go. And he was saying here that he broke down that middle wall of separation that made the non-covenant people and the covenant people separated from one another to where they come in and they're one person under the name of Jesus for anybody that puts their faith in Jesus. Now, if you just look at us, there might be a Jew in here or something. I, I don't know, but probably not. We're probably all Gentiles in here. I mean, just in the natural, we already have things working together because we come from the same cut in the natural of being Gentiles, right? This here is saying that the Lord has brought the, broken down the middle wall of separation and brought the two together. So what he's saying here is that he's made whatever the gentiles are just non-jews anybody that's not a jew is considered a gentile those are really in my opinion the two classifications of people in the world <laughs> the jews and the gentiles but now it's just whether you have a covenant with him or not because everybody is allowed to come into that place so the the picture that's painted here is that god has made a way for us to be unified, but it's recognizing that it's under the headship and the lordship of Jesus that we've all been brought into this thing, but we have to begin to contend for it. And look over here in chapter four, this is where he, he and that's my word is contend, but this is where he helps us see this about contending for it. So in chapters one, two, and three, he talks about who you are in Christ, who Christ is in you, every, the, all the blessing that you have in him. And he also talks about the mystery of the gospel which is by and large is talking about how the Gentiles would be engrafted into this covenant. And so all of those things, and then here in verse four, so all of this blessing, and then here in verse, chapter four, verse one, it says, I've therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And when he's saying beseech here, you need to understand his language. It's a very strong imploring. It would be like, it would be like if, you know, and I've, I feel like I've done this with my own kids when they're, when they're fighting. I don't usually, I wouldn't put it in this terms, but in my heart, I'm beseeching them. And I wouldn't get down on my knees, but in my heart, I'm down on my knees going, guys, please just get, just get along. Please love each other. Come on, I just want you to walk in love. I just want you to get along. Because I know as a father, the benefits of them walking together and walking in harmony for me and for Liz and for them and for the whole house. And so he's saying here, this is the language that he's saying. When he's saying, I beseech you, he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm 
begging you to please heed what I'm saying and to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now, you would think that maybe he might say after this that you stay away from sin, that you don't do anything bad, that you, you know, you could have a whole bunch of things in there that you would say is in regards to walking worthy of the calling. But this is what he says. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. So you want to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called? Be long-suffering, kind, gentle, all of those things, and bear with one another in love, which literally means, the word bearing there, it literally means to put up with one another. You go and look it, you go and look it up, and it means, you go and look up in the Greek, I don't remember what the Greek word is, but it means to put up with. How many of y'all, let me just see a show of hands, you ever had to put up with somebody in your life before? It's like you really didn't necessarily want to be around them, but you had to be around them, and so you put up with them. That's life. Do you know that in a church, it is no different? We have all kinds of people that come from all walks of life. And you know what I've had to come, come to find out is that I've had to learn to just put up with people. There is nobody, and this isn't a, I'm not patting myself on the back, but there is nobody in here that deals with more conflict than I do. I'm telling you, I probably deal with more conflict than everybody in this room put together in one week. You have no idea. And do you know that I don't have any, now I got some people that don't like me very well, but do you know that I don't have anybody that I don't like? I mean, well, let me, let me rephrase that. I don't have anybody that I refuse to walk in love with. I don't have anybody that I refuse to put up with. And I'm looking at all of you. There's none of you in here that I feel like I have to put up with. So those are, those are more the people that come on Sunday. Is the, those, those are the ones. But you know, that personalities rub each other the wrong way. They just do sometimes. You know, we've got, like in our house, again, we've got the, the one that intentionally rubs the other boys the wrong way. It's an intentional thing. But you know, he also brings a lot of spice to the family. And, and he's an awesome part of the family. We wouldn't trade him for anything. But you know, some days we have to put up with him. That's just the way that it goes. But we do it in, we do it in love. See, so you don't put up with people like, oh, God, here they come through the door. You might in your heart go, whew, okay, this is going to be an earful. You know, you got those some people, it's like they're going to, I mean, they're going to give you the rundown of everything, and it's like, all I want to do is just come in here and worship God, you know? And they're going to give you the rundown of a bunch of stuff you probably don't want to hear, but we have a responsibility. If we value covenant, we value unity, we have a responsibility to put up with that person in love. You know what that means? Put your arms around them. Shake their hand. Tell them. I'm really glad you're here. Even if you don't mean it fully, just do it anyways. I'm, a, I'm just being real about it. Because if, you, if you're real about it and you look at it for what it is, then you can, you can approach the thing right. Not, every, not everybody is going to be to your liking. But do you value covenant and do you value unity? We have to ask ourselves that. Do we value the covenant that we have with one another through Jesus more than we value how we feel about people? And I say the answer to that is yes. And another thing, when the gossip train starts, oh, I don't care, I don't care how spiritual a church is. I don't care how word-minded a church is and how 
prophetic a church is or how anything else a group of people is, gossip will always try to enter, enter in. If you value covenant with people, shut it off. You stop it. If it's, you feel like it's important, then you might hear it and then do something with it to the appropriate person, but don't continue the train going. You ever played that, that, see, this is how the devil works. You ever played that game when you were a kid to where you'd have, you know, 10 people together and what the first person whispers like, you know, I ate pancakes for breakfast or something. And by the time it gets down to the other end, it's like, you know, I'm going to watch game seven of the St. Louis Blues and watch them win. It's really awesome. So, and they won game seven. But anyways, you know what I'm saying? And so it's, that's how the devil does it is that someone will say something. And before you know it, you've got this whole story that is fabricated or got stuff added to it, and it just brings destruction. So we got to learn to be quiet and not cooperate with the devil. Amen. Praise God. So let me go on and read here. It says in verse 3, it says, endeavoring. When you talk about endeavoring, that means it takes work on, on our part. We have to endeavor to do this. Endeavoring, notice the word there, to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I'm going to come back to this, but jump down to verse 13. And it says, there it says, till we all come to the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith is something we're arriving to, but the unity of the spirit is something we already have. What's the difference? The unity of the faith has to do with us meshing together as we become mature in the Lord, as we grow up in the Lord, and as we submit ourselves to one another in love, submission is not a dirty word, by the way. It's an awesome word. It's a, it's a freeing word. When you can come to the place where you will submit yourself to other people in, in love, and, and hopefully they'll do the same to you. That's a great place to be at in your life. Because that means that God, God can work in, in something like that. So the unity of the faith is when you come, you come together. And, you know, it's like the more we do this thing together the tighter our understanding comes about the Lord and about, and not just even about the Lord, but about what we're doing together. It's like the Tower of Babel with God, but with God involved kind of thing. And we're working towards something great. That's the unity of the faith. But the unity of the spirit is something we already have. And here's what it looks like. So it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So this puts us all on the same playing field, that when we got born again and we all came into relationship, we were all baptized in the name of Jesus. And when it says one baptism, there are multiple baptisms, but this is talking about being baptized into the kingdom of God through putting faith in Jesus. That's what that's talking about. It puts us all on the same playing field. You know, you can have the person that is, is the most difficult to get along, to get along with, which by the way, could be you. I'm just saying, but you can have the person that's the most difficult to get along with, but if they've been born again, they're going, to be in, they're going to be in heaven with you. You might as well just learn to get along with people here. Amen. Because if you don't, the Lord's liable to like put their house right next to yours or something in heaven. I could, I could, totally, I could totally see him do that. So I, I, I'm dragging this out here because I, I want you to see something. And, and this is the thing too is that 
And David and I have talked a lot about this. People will take sections of scripture and they'll camp out on one thing. And it's like they get only what's right there as far as revelation. But when you read a verse, you should read it in context of the verse before it and the verse after it. And you should read all of those verses in the context of that chapter. You should read that chapter in the context of the book and that book in context of the covenant. And so when you're reading in the old covenant, in the Old Testament, and it's talking about the underneath of the old covenant, there are verses in the Old Testament that do not apply to you. I'm not going to go through and talk about those, but you have to, you have to understand things properly. We have to rightly divide the word of truth. So this is why we can go back and look in, under the old covenant and to see about God, you know, whatever, smiting 200,000 people or whatever, whatever, opened up the earth and however many people it was, I think it was 200,000 people or something, swallowed the earth up. Uh, Jesus has come and he was the propitiation for our sins, not only ours only, but for the entire world. That means that God's judgment is, and this time we're living in right now is not coming up on the earth. I probably shouldn't open that can of worms. I actually thought about ministering on that tonight, but the Lord said to do this. Oh man, now I feel like I got to talk about that. But we're not under, we're not under a covenant of, of judgment anymore. Jesus dealt with that. There's a judgment that's going to come and it's going to be, you read Revelation, it's nasty bad. But David said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sins. That's this, this man in this dispensation. That's what we're living in right now. Point being is that you have to, with the whole thing, my point is that you have to take scripture and you have to understand what it's saying as a whole or you miss the whole thing. And what this is saying right here, and I know I've preached this, I've probably preached this 10 times here at least. But what this verse is saying is in context of the, the whole book of Ephesians. Just looking at it in the whole book, he's talking about all of this blessing and, and virtue and position and unity that we have in Christ Jesus. And now he says, you're going to have to contend if you want to keep the unity that I've given you. And then he goes on and he talks about every kind of relationship you can think about for the rest of chapter four, all of chapter five, and all the way up until chapter six and verse 10. And you know what it says in chapter six and verse 10? After talking about relationships. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and put on the power of his, and in the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Understand it in context. What's it saying in context? It's saying God's blessed us and given us this great unity that we have together. And then it starts talking about relationships, but right before it starts talking about relationships, it says, you're going to have to work to keep this. You're going to have to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You're going to have to put up with some people. But if you value covenant, you'll do it. And by the way, let me tell you about some covenant relationships. And for the rest of chapter four, he talks about, he talks about the church and it goes into talking about uh, employers and employees and, and family members, mothers and, and our fathers and their kids and all of that, husbands and wives. And at the end, he says, Put on the armor of God that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. Those scripture verses about the, the armor of God have grossly been misused. And now you can apply it in, in, a, in a wide application, but most of the time people will take just those section of scripture verses 
And they'll apply it to spiritual warfare, but they'll leave out where most of the spiritual warfare takes place. Where does most spiritual warfare take place? Amongst people. Why? Because if the enemy can come in and drive a wedge between me and you, he's got us. We cannot accomplish what God wants us to do if we're divided. Are we not contending for a book of Acts church? I am. That's what I want. And you know what it says in Acts chapter two? It says that, and when they were all, and let's look at this very quickly, Acts chapter two. Quickly, we'll turn over there. As soon as I get there, I'm gonna start reading. Acts chapter two in verse one. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. I've got a great definition of what with one accord, that whole phrase means put together. It means being unanimous, having mutual consent, being in agreement, having group unity, having one mind and purpose. The disciples had an intellectual, how do you say this word? An intellectual union, we'll just say it like that. An emotional report, rapport? Rapport. Oh, there's no T, it's silent. Man, the English language is awful. And a bunch of other stuff I'm going to quit reading because I can't pronounce the words. But anyways, you get the picture. It was, they, were, they were fully unified, spirit, soul, body, every part of them. And then what happened, verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. You know what the Lord has begun to speak to me? That if we want to see this, we have to go back to the place where the disciples were. That's why we're making a prayer room over there. Because they went into the upper room and they, they, what were they doing during that time? They were praying. They were meeting together. They were probably talking about Jesus or whatever. But Jesus said, go and wait. You would think that if you had this amazing ministry, and, and, and nowadays it's like, you know, if you have this minister that has this amazing ministry, they always pass it off to somebody. Jesus was the greatest minister that ever lived. And he had 12 people, well, more than that, really, 100 people plus people to pass it off to. And he said, don't do anything. I know you just witnessed me being raised from the dead and now I'm in my glorified body, but I want you to go and wait. And what did they do? They prayed while they waited. And you know what happened when they prayed? They got in one accord and then the suddenly came. It says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. We want to see the glory. We want to see the angels. We want to see the power of God. We want to see healing. You know what we're missing more than anything? We're missing people coming together, being unified, not because we've got everything figured out doctrinally together, but because we know that we belong to him. He is our God and we're committed to him and we're committed to each other to see this thing through. That's what God's asking of us. That's the one accord, the unity that he's calling his, his bride into. And I'm just saying that I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes. There was a point in my life where, and I, I am concerned about right doctrine, right teaching, right understanding, because I've, I've, it's my, just in my nature to teach, and I love the Word of God, and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding concerning the Word of God, but you know that I'm not, I, I used to be, but I'm not now more concerned about doctrine than I am unity. Because you know what, people get their, on their, their doctrine kicks about, and we have to agree on some things for sure, but people get on their kicks about things that they just really want to hammer home, and you know what ends up happening? 
is they just create division. The Lord is way less concerned about doctrinal accuracy than he is unity. Doctrinal accuracy needs to be there. That's why he's given the fivefold ministry. So the unity of the faith has a lot to do with how we believe. And what does it say right before that? That he's given apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, till we all come, for the edifying of the body, till we all come to the unity of the faith. So he's given those gifts to help people have understanding. But the saints, see, this is the way I see it. The, the doctrine and the direction and the understanding and the vision and the mission and all of those things, that comes from the leadership, but the unity comes from the body. It's up to the body to say, I'm not, gonna, I'm not letting the devil come between me and anybody that I'm, that I'm around that he's called me to be in covenant with. And see, this is why, you know, the whole idea about, I love people coming into our church and being a part of what God's doing here, but I, I'm not really looking for people just to fill seats. I'm looking for people to lock arms together and say, we're going to do this thing. And if it takes us two years or five years or 10 years or 20 years, and, you know, I understand that people move and things like that. I'm not saying you have to make a kind of commitment like, you know, we're going to make a blood covenant. But, it's, but the heart's there to where you come in and say, hey, unless the Lord tells me to do something else, I'm with you all the way. And even when you say something I don't like, I'm still with you all the way. And even when you, this, that, or the other, you fill in the blanks, I'm not going to take that and become offended with that because I realize that you're human and I'm human and we have to begin to see ourselves differently. I value unity way more than I value us seeing everything the exact same way. You know, I, even people that I came out of, you know, Bible school with, you know, Jay, for, for example, or Pastor, Pastor Bobby, he didn't come out of Bible school, but he believes like I believe doctrinally really close, Pastor Bobby, for sure. But do you know that there's things that Pastor Bobby says that I don't agree with? But I love that man and he loves me and he has been the biggest blessing to my life. Why? Because we agree on every little thing. No, because we have, we're in covenant together. Man, there's something special about let, letting God do that in our hearts. Let me show you one more thing here and then we're gonna quit. Over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter five and you're very familiar with this. Man, you're getting some good stuff out of this. This is awesome. 2 Corinthians chapter five. Aren't you glad you came? Yeah. And look here in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm kind of jumping in the middle here for time's sake. It says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. You know what this is saying here? Is that we recognize, and for them, for sure, some of them physically, they, they witnessed it, but certainly he was saying we recognize Christ in his risen condition. In his new glorified body, we recognize him as being risen from the dead. That's what he's saying. And he said, in the same way that we recognize Christ like that, and in verse 16, it says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, we don't know him that way any longer. So he says, you shouldn't know anybody else that way any longer either. 
everybody's got flesh stuff, man. Who are going to be the ones that are going to rise above that and say, I'm going to see you in the spirit. This is why prophecy is so important. Not just prophecy, but tied in with that is being able to see and perceive in the spirit, which is prophetic in nature, but being able to look in and perceive what's going on inside of somebody, the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the call in their life, and take that and pull that out and speak that over their life. You want to see somebody change, say what God says about them. You want to see somebody change, see the way God sees about that person. But you have to stop regarding them according to the flesh because it goes on to tell us one of the greatest truths ever. Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, how are you in Christ? You're in Christ by going, Jesus, I can't do it. I have to have your help. Our brothers and sisters in the Lord, we just... And even if, even if you got some in and they haven't really been born again because they haven't really got it figured out and they're just, just kind of come in. And I've, I've met people after six months, they're like, man, I really am, am not saved. You still treat them this way. It's not a matter of us discerning where people are at at that moment, but it's just that we treat them not according to their outward, but according to their inward the best we can see. But if we don't ask the Lord for help on, on to see the best in people, we'll, we'll never be able to see it. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. This is where understanding about spirit, soul, and body and our spiritual makeup is important because outwardly we don't change. And I mean, I've met a lot of people. I've prayed with people. And I mean, you could tell it was boom. It was a genuine conversion. But they still cussed. They still smoked. They still did things because they were, they, their mind wasn't renewed. Well, you don't take somebody like that and, and begin to judge them according to their outward problems. You don't want to leave them, stay there, but you have to begin to see the way that God made them and call them up higher and raise them up higher because we don't, we don't see people that way anymore. We're not supposed to, amen? You want to have unity? Let the love of Christ compel you to have that mind and the same mind that was in him let it be in you also man so what you do is the next time you get tempted to allow disunity to come in you go back and you listen to this podcast we'll make a podcast you go back and you listen to it and you say you know what devil stick this in your pipe and smoke it you're not going to come between my brother or sister and the lord I value them too much. I value the unity I have with them. I value the covenant I have. The covenant that was cut with the blood of Jesus. It's too valuable for me to just throw it away for some fleshy thing. Amen. Oh, let me give you the definition of unity according to, to Merriam-Webster. I meant to say this. Very simple. Unity, this is one definition I like this. The quality or state of not being multiple the quality or state of not being multiple. So in other words, when somebody else hurts, you hurt. When somebody else is joyful, you're joyful. You know, if we had that mentality, jealousy would be totally removed. One of the biggest hindrances to God moving in a group of people in a mighty way is that people get jealous. How do we know this? It's because it says that Jesus, that that they were offended at him. His own family was offended at him. And he couldn't do any mighty works there because of their unbelief. What were they offended at? 
I believe if you read in context, you can kind of read between the lines there. And they said, well, is this not uh, uh, Jesus, the brother of Joseph and Judas and the daughter, I mean, the son of Joseph and all of these things. And like they were looking at him in, in the natural instead of saying, wow, you're healing the sick, you're raising the dead, you're cleansing the lepers. They weren't willing to just see that. They only wanted to look at him in the natural and what happened? Jealousy came in. Honestly, they wanted what he had and they were offended at him. You know where a lot of people get offended? They're just jealous. If we can learn to celebrate, celebrate. Celebrate when people have good things happen. Celebrate their successes. So what, what you can do where you can start this is go watch Wheel of Fortune. And instead of wishing you were the one on a Wheel of Fortune, just start celebrating and be like, yes, they won, they won. <laughs> just move that right over on into the church. And when they get healed of the same thing you've been believing for to get healed of, instead of going, where's my healing? Say, man, thank you, Jesus, that they got healed. I believe mine's next, but praise God, I'm going to celebrate. Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at OCI Perryville.